Cuisine Bites with Kelly Brett. Everything you'll ever need to know about food. Kia ora, and welcome along to another episode of Cuisine Bites. You know, as I've travelled around this magnificent country over the last few years in a bit of an effort to learn about the New Zealand food and drink culture, one thing has become abundantly clear. It's the people behind this flourishing culture who are the true story. In every region, it's been impossible to miss the movers and shakers that have led their communities by building innovative businesses, networking and striving to create jobs and improve infrastructure. You know, they they just seem to be on a never-ending mission to inspire and motivate the good people of their towns to step up, collaborate and get involved. Earlier this year, Hawke's Bay Tourism announced their search for a legend a visionary who has truly helped shape their region into what is now called New Zealand's food and wine country. Team Cuisine has been so proud to assist with this outstanding initiative. We recently asked our audience of New Zealand food and drink lovers to nominate their legends. The talent recognised within the nomination process has been phenomenal. It's run the gamut of artisan producers, chefs, restaurateurs, winemakers, farmers and growers and included event specialists, innovators, entrepreneurs, all within the food and drink category. So much work from so many has gone into making Hawke's Bay into the amazing playground for foodies that it is today. So what are we looking for when we talk about a legend within the business of food and drink? Is it an approach to the many layers of hospitality and the overall experience? Food is one part of an element of going out or being entertained. So you've got to build that whole infrastructure around the food, the experience, yeah. You know, that start right through to the finish. Is it an ability to recognise diversity of talent? You know, there's been some reasonably entrepreneurial thinking and some pretty out-there thinking, actually, from quite bold um, and probably reasonably affluent um, farming families and things that, that certainly help shape the place. Um, and then some really pretty out there thinking from the old age of the golden dawn and things. There's a great mix of um, all of that way back there. Is it a tremendous respect for the past and stepping backward to bring it forward? I still don't know if it's about the food or if it's about, uh, or if it's about the, the, the wairua, which is the spirit of it all. You know, and I, th- I, I constantly um, sort of bounce back and forth you know, on, on, on those concepts and um, to actually try and bring them both together. I, mm. I, I think that that's um, a lot deeper um, for us. Or perhaps a spirit of great collaboration. We've always had great collaboration I, and I, I think that's across everything. Um, and I think we need to be, you know, singing our praises loudly. Or is it the ability to take risks and push boundaries? I suppose we were all rebels in a way, but there were so many who gave willingly of their voluntary time, and they were co-leaders. So we did a lot of exciting things. I'm about to introduce you to six outstanding members of the Hawke's Bay community, who have all played immensely important roles in the creation and shaping of what is now a widely recognised New Zealand destination for food and drink lovers. But before we do that, oh God, I've been dying to tell you this, our food news this week is crispier than ever. Crispy. Thanks to COVID-19, there were no Cuisine Good Food Awards for 2020, but we are delighted to announce that they're back for 2021, and as always, they could not 
would not happen without the support of our incredible partners. Mark your calendars for the night of December 13 and join us in welcoming American Express as our presenting partner. Now, this relationship is an exciting move for both American Express and Cuisine, and we are so looking forward to bringing back the hats. Rob Bourne, country manager in New Zealand, knows only too well how important they are for the hospitality industry. Cuisine Bites. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. At American Express, uh, we know how important the Cuisine Good Food Awards are to the New Zealand restaurant and hospitality industry. Uh, It's such a highly regarded accolade, and I think it recognises just so many superb establishments uh, around New Zealand. Um, It's a great opportunity for American Express to celebrate the restaurant industry and and show our support uh, and ongoing support at a time, I think, when when it's absolutely needed the most. And I've had the pleasure of meeting so many incredibly hardworking, innovative and and passionate people in this industry. And the Good Good Food Awards really are a great platform to recognise some of their achievements. Uh, and that really make going out and dining in New Zealand just such a rich and diverse experience. Mm. And if there was a time to get behind the industry, now would be it, wouldn't it, really? Absolutely. Who is the typical American Express cardholder, Rob? American Express card members, I think, are, you know, they are premium card customers who absolutely uh, have a passion for dining. And we know from uh, speaking to our card members, but also uh, from our data, that they love getting out and supporting their local businesses and restaurants. Um, and also traveling around New Zealand to enjoy uh, new experiences. Now, our customers report spending 1.6 times more uh, in dining than non-card members. Uh, and some of our premium cards uh, actually spend seven times more than that on dining uh, each year. So we know it's a, a huge passion for them. Uh, and I, I think through the, the challenges of 2020 and, and following some of the lockdowns, it was just so encouraging to see how quickly our customers got back out uh, spending in the dining industry. Uh, as well, which which was terrific. Um, and then in terms of the other, another important group of customers that we have are, are business owners around New Zealand. And, you know, again, I love speaking to some of the restaurant owners who use our business cards. They purchase all of their restaurant sort of food and beverage supplies and enjoy some uh, outstanding rewards in the process that they get to take their families out on holiday and, and of course, enjoy uh, up to 50 days of extra cash flow, which is pretty important too. So we, we've got a very diverse uh, group of both yeah, customers and businesses. And, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's got to eat. But what we are loving about this new partnership for us, the synergy just feels so right, doesn't it? Because what we want to do is really make sure that the people that are really into it are eating well and have no doubt that they're eating at the very, very best places. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, we, we uh, definitely want to uh, help our customers find those best places around New Zealand and, and enjoy them. And I think, you know, we've always been very, very focused on the restaurant industry uh, in New Zealand. I mean, we've, we've been operating now in New Zealand for 48 years. And I think, you know, dining is, is really at the heart of what our customers absolutely love doing. You know, over that time. Um, and right now, actually, we're running a, a great uh, campaign called Shop Small, which is a movement that encourages Kiwis to support, you know, thousands of local businesses, including restaurants. Um, this year, we've launched a $300 dining credit on one of our, uh, our premium platinum cards, which is a collection of our, our, they can enjoy a collection of some absolutely, you know, top restaurants around New Zealand. Um, and again, I'm so excited to be presenting in the uh, Cuisine Good Food Guide and Awards. And, you know, I think it's, uh, it's going to help you know, continue to help our card members find the very best dining experiences around New Zealand and I think just show the, the backing uh, for the restaurant industry um, that uh, that's so, uh, so needed. All right, well, more to come from both of us and onwards to our announcement of the top 100 New Zealand restaurants. Can't wait, Kelly. So exciting. Yeah, very looking forward to it. For the love of food. So as you can hear, this partnership feels 
just so right. And we're thrilled to be working with American Express and some very special supporting partners that are equally as invested in the promotion of New Zealand as a premium dining destination. Many, many thanks to Antipodes, DeLonghi, Aura King and Pede. All eyes are on New Zealand and there is no better time to be telling the world about our deliciousness. Keep an eye on cuisine.co.nz for updates. Everything you'll ever need to know about food. Now back to the beautiful region of Hawke's Bay. If you've visited recently, you'll know that the food and drink experience is pretty special. On top of that, their food and drink trail is spectacular and offers pretty much everything you might need to immerse yourself in a gastronomic adventure of epic proportions. But how did they do it? Something like this doesn't just happen overnight. Who are the people that contributed in a major way to building this incredible experience that has such unmistakable flavours of Hawke's Bay? Hawke's Bay Tourism have set out to crown their very first Hawke's Bay legend. And they're going to do this on the opening night of the 10th Summer Forks series this November. Together with a panel that compromise Sarah Meekle, Chief Executive of Wellington Culinary Events Trust, and George Hickton, Chairman of Hawke's Bay Tourism, and with research conducted by Rachel Campbell, Food and Wine Project Lead at Hawke's Bay Tourism, we've chosen our top nominees from a spectacular group of talent. All of the people in this group have contributed greatly to the reputation that Hawke's Bay has earned as a must-visit destination for food and drink lovers. So of course, what more of an excuse did I need? I headed to Food and Wine Country to have a chat with the nominees. First up, Kim Thorpe, a communications, marketing and branding consultant who is extremely passionate about the Hawke's Bay and most recognised in the region for his work with business partner Andy Coltart on the establishment of Black Barn. And that's a name that is now recognised as the absolute essence of the region. Kim's been a bit of a creative genius behind the scenes, conceptualising and shaping many of the events that have gone on to become the trademarks of a truly excellent time in Hawke's Bay. I left here, couldn't wait to leave here, um, at about the tender age of 17 and went to little old TVNZ in Wellington, at about 19 I think, and um, 20 years later came back and it it was a completely different place that we came back to. I couldn't wait to leave Hawke's Bay it, back then, quite a, quite a long time ago obviously, but um, but yeah, well, it was... It had changed. It had definitely changed when, when we, by the time we got back here. Isn't it funny how children of regional families always can't wait to get out of it? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, and especially then, that age group, that early twenties age group, was really missing here then. Mm. And I must admit, when I came, when when we came back, which is now like twenty years ago, it was still missing. To me, one of the great focuses, one of the great sort of successes, if you like, of it, is seeing that mid-twenties to mid-thirty-year-old age group is all over the region now and it was really missing and I think you know obviously pretty famous for its retirement homes and things Hawke's Bay but to have that influx of that youth um, and quite entrepreneurial youth too because there aren't the big institutions and things here so that's made quite a big difference. How hard is it to get things done? I suppose let me think about that I was involved in advertising in Wellington in a pretty high-pressure job that I loved, but also knew that I couldn't, I'd die if I carried on doing it forever. So I knew that I didn't want to do that forever. So I suppose I was reasonably young coming back here. And so I did have a bit of energy to dive in and do some stuff here. 
in a different way, not, not, in, not in the traditional role that I'd had. I must admit, I found it quite open to some changes happening because I think there was a lot of frustration mm. from old and institutionalized ways of doing things. And I'm not saying just because a bunch of us came back or whatever and shook things up that things changed dramatically. But I do know that um, it was, I think, it was sort of the beginning of a bit of a loosening up of the place. And a, and a not so, like, for example, I think there was something like 17 government or council-funded tourism bodies, which is just extraordinary. And they're all doing their own bit, and they all had their own little bit, because Hawke's Bay is complicated from wire to, you know... Those were the days. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was like... And so, and I'm not saying they weren't doing anything, but there was... The, but nothing could really get out, because no one had a budget or a brief that was going to give any cohesion to anything. So that was sort of interesting. So what did you do first? We basically came back to create Black Barn mm. in lots of ways. That was the um, Black Barn. I suppose we always saw had a number of um, fingers to it, if you like. So it. Did you see those fingers from the beginning, or did it start with something and then evolve? Believe it or not, we were actually pretty disciplined with all that right from the beginning. We knew. You had the vision. We did have the vision, and all those, all those sort of, I suppose, those cliches of. What was your strategy and all that stuff? We did. We were pretty had our act together on that actually. Mm. Like we did, for example, there was a thing called Black Barn Road in like the late nineteen nineties. There was no such thing as a Black Barn until two thousand and three, and like no one knew what the hell that was. Was so we knew all that. We were planned all that before we put it into place. Mm. And and I think wine was always at the epicenter of it, but it wasn't all about wine. We were very much going to be about bringing people to us. So with that, there were a lot of other, a lot of fingers, a lot of pies, including the importance of the of the visitor and the appeal of Hawke's yep. Bay to visitors became a really important part of that sort of plan. That's the next question really, isn't it? Because at that stage, was there much of an event platform here? Apart from probably the Opera House as it was running then and the Municipal Theatre and things in Napier, apart from those indoor venues, the big thing really was the mission. And, you know, and the old mission was a famous... Um, event platform yeah, but there wasn't really too much beyond that really back then and that was pretty famous mm. obviously and still is mm. Mm. It was the first right? yeah it was really yeah. yeah okay and so but you've had your finger in so many other pies around town not really I don't really you know I, I feels like you do. yeah I know well, I get asked to do a bunch of stuff and I <laughs> And so, I, and I, and I've been useless at saying no. That's the problem when you become a consultant. <laughs> yeah, I know, well, and I didn't even, I've, you know, and it's all been bloody voluntary as well. Anything I was that, just going to say anything that's sort of been supporting the region until recently has very much been voluntary. And so, um, but there wasn't sort of a, a selfish um, other side of it to try and do it to advance anything with Black Barn or whatever. It was just because anything that the region did that was getting its act together and showing some progress was going to help us as well. But So they were sort of joined at the hip a bit. But Is that the um, secret to success of a region and a community, though, that thing of, like, together we're stronger than all trying to get our own slice of the pie? I think, I think that's absolutely right. And I do think it does take a bit of momentum of some individuals that aren't actually funded by say, a council responsibility or, or whatever, to actually give something a go. And I think that's often been the case with a lot of regions or a lot of things that have happened, is it's been a bunch of like-minded people have got together and gone, this feels crazy or this feels like it's a wasted opportunity or mm. whatever. And 
basically tried to go and do it. And I think the good thing about that is as long as you've got enough respect and you're not being completely naive or blind about what you're doing, those entities will lock in behind you and will support you. I don't think they're necessarily always good at spearheading or leading things. But, you know, in, in a regional area, they are pretty proactive and pretty good at supporting that sort of thing. Every region that I go into, there are always the movers and shakers. And sometimes they get a bit of flack for being involved in so many things. But without them, things wouldn't happen. I suppose most regional or rural areas of the world would be like this. You've got your top topography, obviously, don't you? And you've got the weather and the landscape, which dictates a certain amount, be that really hard to endure or reasonably easy from a production point of view or whatever. Then you've got the people that have come in to actually use that to drive things. So it's an absolutely a joint at the hip, isn't it, between um, what the landscape or what the land provides and then what people have actually done with that and some places that you know not much has happened to either and in other places um there's i, th I think it just works. yeah it has worked and i think you know weirdly if you go way way back way way back to in hawks bay i think you know there's been some reasonably entrepreneurial thinking and some pretty out there thinking actually from from way back mm. that from quite bold um and probably reasonably affluent um, farming families and things that, that certainly helped shape the place. Um, and then some really pretty out there thinking from the old age of the golden dawn and things, which happened in like 1912 or 14 or something, which is a digit in. And um, all that, so there's great, I love all, there's a great mix of um, all of that way back there. Yeah. In many small regions, it's we want tourists, we want the economy, we want the money, we want we want all of that, but we don't want to stay open after 5pm, we don't want big buildings, we don't want hotels, we don't... Is there any of that? Do you know, I think there's the, there's the opposite of that in Hawke's Bay in lots of ways, because I think a lot of that just wasn't here. Like, there was there were no hotels, and there, were, there still aren't that many. <laughs> but and, and there weren't many places open after 5 and all of that sort of thing. What there is, though, which I think is really interesting, is there is a bedrock and a population that live here that actually do want that sort of thing. So in other words, it's not just completely reliant on the visitor. If in other words, if all the visitors left, there'd still be a need for that sort of thing, which is quite unusual in sort of a rural area of New Zealand, I think. And so... But isn't that also because of what you were speaking about with having that 35-year-old age group here that are here, that are having their families here, and so the whole thing is feeding into itself. That's right, but even back when there weren't, taking you back to your everything closed at five o'clock thing, there were still people want, were frustrated about that then, if you know what I mean. Mm. Then when all of that changed, there wasn't a big resistance to that. I think there was a welcoming of that, and that also then helped, I think, bring younger. It has been a good positive wave of, thing, of things like that, but it's been based on its own population, not on a, on a entire reliance on, on the visitor. And I personally think, without um, getting too deep into this, that that's what a visitor wants as well. I think, I think a visitor wants to go to somewhere that ha is its own place and has its own reason for being, and has its own food culture and all of that sort of, sort of thing that they want to dive into, as opposed to feel it's like a bit of a Disneyland that's been um, made and created purely for for the visitor. So they get an authentic taste. They do, and 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 I think you know authentic is a, as we all know is a bit of an overused word, but but I do think I think but there is a genuine. The there's yeah, it is yeah. What can you tell me about Fork as it's evolved? 
having come from Australia, I was waiting for the, you know, the big sort of piss up in a paddock type of thing. But it, it wasn't that. It was not that at all. Mm. I think, well, Fork was invented at this very sofa, actually, with, with a <laughs> bit of a chat with Annie Dundas many years ago about... Uh, and. Um, Believe it or not, there have been many, many reasonably unsuccessful attempts at doing some sort of um, around um, new wine release spring sort of events, you know, wine and food festivals, mm. basically. Mm. There, and there'd been there'd been quite a few, and Hawks Bay had quite a, a history of them. So there was there was something that had been done before, but they were sort of a little lacklustre and a bit sort of they'd start and then fade away and whatever and. I actually think also by then we had a rejuvenated Hawke's Bay tourism, which was great. So and they they wanted to drive it, um, and that's what I was talking about before. Before the, before them, they were like God knows how many entities trying to do tourism. So that really did help. That the fact that they they were driving it, I was involved from the beginning of sort of naming it and shaping it and and that sort of stuff. But um, but it did, therefore it did have some gravitas from the get-go, I reckon. Like it, it, it did feel like it was taken seriously. They did it bloody well, I reckon. And I think what made it quite different, and it's weird how these things evolve, but un- totally understandably, a city experience would be based around its restaurants. Where I think what Fork has done is based it around its landscapes in lots of ways, mm-hmm. and it's things that people are attracted to, even... Many of the restaurants have taken the fork experience out of their restaurant or into a home or whatever. And I think that's interesting. And 10 years on, what I'm really excited about, and I've been, I've been on about this a little bit for the last sort of year or two, is I love now at going even deeper than that into being much more about our growers and producers and where that comes from and how we celebrate that in a spectacular way and in a really unique way. And again, that back to that old authenticity word, it's great because that's you know it is genuinely from the land, and that's that's where it's got a. It started life, I think, as wineries and restaurants getting together and doing something unusual, digging down into the ground, if you like, and bringing the growers and producers with us and stuff, and getting them speaking and getting them involved. Still with outrageously good food on a plate. I'll never forget my first year. God, when did I come in? It would have been in. 2016, I guess, and Annie Annie brought me across. Yeah. And I'll never forget walking into that magnificent property on the beach and Al was shucking oysters yeah, yeah. and everybody was sitting around and it was just so casual. I really, you know, had yeah. heard of Al Brown but didn't yeah. really know what he was. But it was just such a flavour of yeah. of the area. Yeah. and Keeping that experience there, but again, speaking, speaking of Al, uh, speaking, I remember having a good ramble to Al a little while ago about Fork and both, I can't remember who came up with the thought, but we, between us we were thinking, imagine bus pulling up in a, you know, open bloody Hawke's Bay Road somewhere and everyone's given a little brown paper bag and a really sharp knife and you all get out of the bus and you've basically got to cut your way through fresh asparagus <laughs> to an amazing marquee in the middle of that asparagus field and there Al and whoever cooks that in 101 whatever ways. But that to me is an absolute example of what a good fork experience could be from yeah. absolutely from the land to doing something outrageous in that marquee. I, I, I can just see all this massacred asparagus. Yeah. I'm crying already and I haven't I even got it's to the event. Up, but hold on, you're not about the next day, so that's all right. <laughs> Why doesn't anybody do white asparagus? Yeah, here, I don't, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to ask asparagus growers that. I don't know. Is it that hard? Because the chefs would be gagging I for know, it. They would. Yeah. I like I've got a Spanish husband. Like, yeah. Yeah. where is it? I know, I know. 
And it, and it, I, look, here's me having not much experience with asparagus at all, but I assume it's same varieties. It's just about keeping them under under yeah. straw, isn't it? Well, I don't think it needs different varieties, does it? Or is it? They seem very fat no, no, at times. As far as I know, it's just it's the similar. it's, the, it's yeah. the no light. Yeah, that's right. I mean, how hard can it be? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, especially it can't be that hard when you're looking at the profit you're going to make on it. You know, We're probably not the people to be talking about asparagus, though. I'm sure someone will... Well, um, well, I do love white asparagus. I was thinking oh. weirdly... I was thinking about even just growing some just to give that a go. Just Because I think you just pile straw up over it, don't yeah. you? Keep it, keep it going. I'll invest. Yeah, okay. You do the work. <laughs> yeah, and I bet I won't do it either, by the way. <laughs> it all sounds like a good yeah, idea, no, doesn't it? <laughs> What's the future for the area? I mean, you've seen so much change. What are you most proud of first? Um... I think I am actually really proud of, of how Black Barn does sit within Hawke's Bay. I think it represents Hawke's Bay well, and I think everything Andy Coulthart and I did or thought about when we started it, we actually did do and we delivered. Um, there's not much that we haven't done with it now. Obviously, there wasn't a Black Barn here before, but there wasn't anything quite like it before either. Mm. And I quite like how it represents Hawke's Bay as a real deal, genuine sort of New Zealand experience, rural experience, and done and not trying to be a city experience and no. not trying to be a Napa experience, but done in a way that Hawke's Bay feels proud of as well. I quite like, you know, taking on projects and you actually do get them done and you do do it the way, the way you thought. I was trying in our last issue to articulate that. I should have just rung you up. <laughs> Because I wasted a lot of time and didn't 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 say it as anywhere near as well as you just said it, but it exactly was that there are so many beautiful wineries that you go to that are trying to replicate Italy or mm. you know that experience when and they're not in sync with mm. with their surroundings. Mm. But that's how you feel when you sit out in that beautiful mm. courtyard looking at that that view. But the food and everything else mm. sort of aligns mm. with all of that and tells you that. Yeah. That word authentic, but mm. it, it's real. It's mm. the real deal. Mm. Yeah. When we started, Clearview was it was a dining experience, and Brookfields was, and I think that was sort of. I, I bet someone will yell down my throat and go, "No, there was also." Duh, 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 duh. Mm. But there weren't. There were very few. Mm. What, Hawke's Bay was obviously famous as a wine growing region, but it wasn't really that famous for for the wine experience. Mm. Just as we were thinking about what we were going to do, um, Cellini was being built and Craggy Range was being built <laughs> and, so, and Elephant Hill hadn't come along yet. But um, those two sobered us up because like, you know, yeah, because yeah, we yeah. were, yeah, yeah. you know, they were, that was brilliant because they put, they were seriously substantial. Serious contenders. They were and they were amazing. I mean, they really put Hawke's Bay on the map as a big grown up wine visitor destination sort of space but again did let us slip under the radar a little bit and therefore be able to be a bit more local and mm. whatever because it wasn't as if we were missing anymore that big serious growing up um yeah, yeah. you know and I look at Craggy Range now and it's impeccable you know it's a it's a perfect well organized well run well designed um vineyard experience that that we're so lucky to have and is such an asset but it does mean that others can do things a little different to that again it's that that thing of being aware and working together almost I mean I know you don't sit down at a table and go right I'm going to have this design and you're going to have but like so that you you, you've all got a slice of the pie but you're all one Mm. working together as well Mm. you know so that you complement one another that's right because if we were if we were all like Black Barn or all like Craigie Range or all like Clearview or whatever what's that going to do to a visitor where I'm I just am convinced that you know if, if someone's thinking about coming to Hawke's Bay now there's a 
you're spoiled for choice in what you want to go and see and do. And, and even as you'd be well aware, the restaurant scene has really come along as well. Mm. And that's quite unusual for outside Queenstown. I would think that's quite unusual for a rural area outside the big cities, the two big, three big cities, I suppose. Mm. And it's quite quite refreshing that. And that, that, that diversity is definitely there as opposed to the cookie cutter, you know. And they always say that competition is healthy, don't yeah, they? Totally, totally. I think that's that's exactly right. I would love to have been here when Elephant Hill was going up. I bet there was a few eyebrows raised around town when that was happening. You know, that was amazing. And Roger and Radan Weiss, who built that and developed that, that was such a bold, outrageous thing to do. Yeah. And it was really strong architecture. It was so distinctive. And I really admired them for their boldness. And I tell you also, they were incredibly generous within the community when they did that. They were amazingly supportive of local suppliers, local everything. And um, it, so it was a real statement. It was um, it was a major undertaking. They did a really good job of embracing themselves within the community as well when they did that. So for you, Kim, looking to the future, what are the opportunities? What are you looking forward to? I suppose we often say that... Um, from a black barn point of view, all our toys are in the sand pit now. So like there's, for our staff, like we're not going to chuck another amphitheatre in or another whatever. And I'm not saying job done because it's always about improving and always about wanting to do something better than what we did last year. But it's using the same things that are always there. And in fact, I don't get bored with that stuff. I think once you've actually got something nailed, if you like, and Hawke's Bay a bit is exactly the same, I think. I think now there is, it's finally deserve, starting to deserve its... Um, I don't know, it, it, the fact that people are starting to look towards it and, and coming to it more than perhaps they used to. And I don't think we have to sort of cringe when they get here or we're not living a lie. Like, it's not like, um, you know, we've we've sort of seduced them into something and then when they get here, there's nothing mm. there's nothing here. And so a lot of that hard work's been done as well. So it is just, again, a matter of making that all better and better and more in sync and more coordinated and easier wayfinding and all of that and probably bolder and more spectacular events as we can do them and all of that sort of thing all fits in with that. If, if I rang you up tomorrow and said um, I want to move to Hawke's Bay what do you reckon what would you say? Um, I'd say I think that's a very very clever idea <laughs> <laughs> and because another thing Hawke's Bay's big mm. I do think we really have the opportunity to be even more famous for the produce that we grow and the way and what that can mean is coming from Hawke's Bay. And I think it I think it can be bolder in some ways and we can start experimenting with some interesting food and some interesting... Um, so what you're telling me is I can't move in unless I grow white asparagus. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If you Someone who's coming in to explore white asparagus or, I don't know, I mean, obviously there's the place survives on big, thumping... Um, producers and growers which is great and long may that continue but to add to that the fame of some quite bold and radical sort of people doing some interesting natural things with with growing would be really interesting cuisine bites with kelly brett and i do need to tell you that kim called me the next day to tell me that he'd tracked down some white asparagus growers in the mighty waikato Family-operated green fern grow three colours, green, purple and the mysterious white. You can find them at greenfern.co.nz and the Spanish husband thanks you, Kim. 
Now, part of the appeal of Hawke's Bay is the opportunity to celebrate the region's growers and producers at spectacularly special events. A glass of something gorgeous in one hand and a delicious bite-sized something in the other. Together, Sam and Mary Orton have been instrumental in feeding and entertaining Hawke's Bay locals and visitors alike with great flair for more than 30 years. I was born in Hawke's Bay and uh, my parents were farmers and uh, I moved away from the area for quite some time and then was living in Wellington and started up a small catering company in Wellington in 1981 called Samuel Woodbine Limited. <laughs> And then met Mary, and then in short, uh, we decided to move to Hawke's Bay because my family were here. So that's how we ended up here. And, and Mary, were you into catering as well, or did you just get swept up along the way? <laughs> swept along the way. But I did have a love of cooking, but no food training at all, but love food. Okay. Uh, th there weren't a lot of options around when we arrived. Mm. In, the, in 83, that was pretty limited. But to be fair... Um, Food hadn't moved very much in Hawke's Bay either. It was, you know, it was all ham off the bone and peas and um, hard new potatoes and mm. trifles. And we, we probably just took a new approach to that. So we modernised it. We showed pretty quickly that um, we could do quantity cooking and not, you know, not have that um, perhaps um, degrade its quality. And um, we had a good combination too because uh, when we first started, Mary did the chefing effectively, supported by others, but I've never cooked, ever. So I've always been a front-of-house man, so... I was going to ask you that, So, but why catering then? Because uh, <laughs> I just fell into it. I'd been working for a meat company, resigned, went into a vacuum, met a girl, Mary Morrison, who she was in those days, who had just done a Cordon Bleu course in London. And so for... We just seemed to team up, mm. and the next thing we had Samuel Woodbine Limited, and the way we, we did directors' lunches, and um, based in a uh, in a basement kitchen in, in Karori, and I would take all the food down in my little laser sport, and deliver it off to all the different double park <laughs> in the middle of Lambton <laughs> Quay, and take it to the wall board, and shove a couple of students in there, and then go on to QE2 Arts Council or BP or Shell, and. Mm. And so that's how I started, really. I heard something about Black Barn. Yes, uh, we opened Black Barn. What year was it, Sam? 2003. Yes, and um, this was our first experience of having a restaurant, and Terry Lowe was our head chef then. So that was another big learning curve, really. <laughs> to have at least with catering, I understand. Mm. I need this amount mm. for this, and um, but Terry's a very good chef. Well, we had great backing from Andy Coulthart and Kim Thorpe, as you, who you'll know, mm. and they were hugely inspirational. They they were the ones that really convinced us to go there and and um, and have a go with them. So. Mm. Such a beautiful setting and, uh, and has gone on now to remain such a, uh, an iconic restaurant in the area. Yeah. Now I'm sitting here as we speak in this beautiful old church and I don't know what this part is, is it called the villa? The villa. Villa. Yeah. So tell me about that. Uh, well, when uh, we, from Black Barn we moved to Selene Winery and, and catered there for about four to five years and we built a marquee out there on the side of the winery, and that, that worked well, and then this opportunity came up here, and so the, the, the owners of the property approached us to take over the lease, and we came here in 16, and um, 
we've really enjoyed it. It's a lovely spot. It's very central because it's central to Wellington, to, to Napier and to Hastings. And so because we do a lot of out catering, um, we're well positioned to, you know, to look after all of that from a good central spot. Mm. You, would you call Hawke's Bay a small town? Um, yes. yes, I would. <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> and is it hard living in a small town? It's no, it's lovely. It's delightful. <laughs> we can take the big town when we want it, but when we, when we don't want it, we leave it behind. Why do you love it? What, what is it about this place? What, what, what's magical about it? Well, there's climate, for one thing. Um, the traffic, no, virtually no traffic, although Havelock North is getting really busy now and you oh. can't get a park there anymore. No, simply <laughs> And yes, I just love the smaller community. It's a very easy place to live. Do you feel that you've had great support along the way from the community? Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think we've earned it. You know, I think we've put a lot of lot of energy into earning that respect. Mm. And I think that's, you know, maybe that's why we've survived the the time we have. But yeah, we've we've had a lot of support. Mm. Things have changed a lot. You know, we used to do a lot of marquee weddings on farms and whatever, that's starting to decline because of, you know, the shape of that um, farming profile is changing. We're now more, you know, looking after people more in an urban setting. So mm, I was going to say, because also there's, there's many more venues and things um, available as are. well. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. But no, no, we've been very lucky. And, and, you know, I think we've established good relationships too and that's what it comes down to. And has your food changed much? Over the years? Yes, it has moved. It's moved with the times and yeah. gets, gets better and better. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Do you think that your customer, the expectation is different these days? Yeah, undoubtedly. It, it would have been. I still feel that food is one part of an element of going out or being entertained. So you've got to build that whole infrastructure around the, the food. The experience, yeah. Mm. And I think that's what we, we just... I, th I believe we do that well. We, we're well thought of in that in that in that experience space. So you know, so you got to get better and better at that. Mm -hmm. um, so when you say that you build an experience, how do you do that? Well, we're well, we're probably event organisers too. So we we'll take you from that, you know, that start right through to the finish. Whether it's whether it's a conference for five hundred or it's a you know, smaller wedding, whatever. We 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 look after all elements of it rather than just saying, "Well, here we are. I've arrived to do the food for you, and we'll serve it, and then we'll disappear." We've got, there's a whole element, and and you would probably understand what I'm talking about. Again, uh, going back to what I was saying before, I think a lot of what you do is really um, responsible for a lot of the people that have come in and discovered Hawke's Bay because of the events and things that you've done. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. We, we, we always laugh because we cater for the cricket each year. <laughs> and um, and uh, the commentators always say we're looking forward to getting to to McLean Park at Napier so we can have the, the roast loin of pork. <laughs> so, <laughs> so every year it comes up, what are you going to have? This is Sky TV. Um, and what are you going to have? Um, I think we'll just go for the pork. Go the pork. We'll go the pork. <laughs> so yeah. so that, that means there are some things that you just can't take off the menu. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to throw in the towel? We did. We actually did throw in the towel once, didn't we? Years ago. Yes, we did. We had a, I was thinking, 
I, I was going to carry on, though, because oh. I, <laughs> fortunately he realised that actually it was important he picked the tile up again. So you let the side down? I did, yeah. I, well, I, I don't know. It was just a time, time in my well, our lives, I suppose, where we'd, it was tough. You know, it was really tough. And um, I think we just got to the point where we thought we just need to make a change. And um, we, we even had a, um, we've got a video of the last night with all, all our troops there and um, it never, never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so you said goodbye but then you came back. Hello. <laughs> That's always the joke with, with Orton's is that um, if you think you've got away from us and as, in a, as someone who's worked with us, Forget it, you'll be back. We'll get you again. Yeah. <laughs> it's a boomerang effect with staff. They've gone two or three times, but they come back, which is nice. Our people, our stories, our food. Jeremy Rumaker. Chef and co-owner at Pacifica Restaurant has been quietly leading the charge to identify Hawke's Bay and New Zealand cuisine for more than 14 years. Now don't be fooled by the laid-back blue beach villa on Marine Parade in Napier. It houses a restaurant that has earned three hats in the Cuisine Good Food Guide, an accolade currently awarded to only four other restaurants in the country. Jeremy has put Hawke's Bay firmly on the map as a destination for anyone interested in a taste of the very best of New Zealand. Um, I, I don't really, I, I didn't really know how to go about it. Um, do I bring my, my own culture into it? Or, or, uh, and I still don't know if it's about the food or if it's about, uh, or if it's about the, the, the wairua, which is the spirit of it all, you know, and I, I, I constantly, um, sort of bounce back and forth you know, on, on, on those concepts and um, to actually try and bring them both together. I, th mm. I, th I think that that's um, a lot deeper um, for us. So when you're creating a dish, what comes first, the history and the story or the ingredient? I, I tend to go back, work backwards yeah. and then bring it forward again. Yeah, that's, that's what I, you know, and ask those questions as I'm working with it. Yeah. What questions? Well, it's not, it's not questions you, you can speak to people about, you know. Oh, go on. <laughs> it's it's, it's hands-on. Like, like I said, it's, 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 it's all about the wairua, you know, trying to, trying to find a connection with, with things. And for me, it's, it's dating back to where the ingredient came from. And, and it's like, uh, like us, you know, as with, with the Māori, the Māori, Māori race, we, we, we came from all different parts of the world. We're not just from here. We're from mm, everywhere. Mm, mm. Yeah, and it's 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 the same as ingredients. If you can trace it back, that's how I think. Mm. That, that's how I do things. Mm. Um, and um, then when it comes forward, then there's a better understanding of um, how to appreciate it, which is, which which also means, you know, not to play around with it too much. You know, it's a, and it's a difficult thing not to play around with things. Oh. I think that's actually where. Your confidence comes in, and your your growth as a chef, because to be able to know when to stop is yeah. what the most important thing. Yeah, and um, so it, it does take a lot of discipline and um, a, a lot of insight. I don't think you charge enough for your food. Uh, the reason being, I, I would it, it's open doors for all walks of life as well. Um, you know, 
and that dates back to where I come from. You know, we couldn't afford much, and I, I would like, I would like all walks of life to, to be able to come here, rather rather than the special few. Yeah, and that's what what it's about as well. It's, mm. it's like opening the doors to for everyone. But at the same time, you've still got to run a business and you've still got to be able to keep a roof over your head. So how do you feel about the actual current state of that? It's a hard business to be in, huh? Um, like I said, I come from nothing. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you keep your expectations low. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite happy how, how things are. You know, um, I'm, I'm not trying to reach for the stars or I'm not trying to... Um, trying to trying to run anyone else's business, I'm just um, happy where things are. As long as our staff are happy, as uh, long as we're we're okay, uh, we've got enough to eat. We got to, we're okay. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Yeah. And you have a um, you have quite a loyal uh, customer clientele. We do. Yeah. Um, over the last fifteen years, yeah. They, they, um, tell, tell me, how was that in the beginning? Uh, difficult because um, everybody came here just to check it out, just to see, and and, and you always feel, I wonder how long he's going to last, and and, all that. and would that have been a bit of okay? So we're going to get a bit of mouldy cooking. What's it yeah. going to be? Yeah. yeah, I didn't want to bring that that side of it into it. Well, I guess that's um, um, advertising in itself. Mm. In it, in mm. it. There's um, some mouldy boy down the road that's doing something, but yeah, yeah, and. Um, it's it's nice it's nice to be taken seriously, yeah. you, you know, and fun, you know. I take things very seriously, and and in a big way, I don't, you know. So it's <laughs> I kind of watch you though when you're cooking. Um, a couple of times now, when I've been here, and and I've been able to sort of just sit and watch you at the pass, and you are very much in a zone. Yeah. 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 I guess that comes from discipline. Yeah. Um, I don't like to um, disrespect the amount of work that's been put into it. So I try harder, harder to improve on that, mm-hmm. yeah. How has your food changed over the 15 years, do you think? Um, it's certainly simplified a lot, mm. yeah. Um, and that, that's how I explained earlier um, about sort of going backwards and <laughs> going backwards, understanding it and coming forward and taking out all the um, unnecessaries that, that are not wanted or not needed or, you know. But that's a, that, that's a, that's a journey in itself is, right. is to understand that, you know. And also, uh, as a chef, when you're younger, I, I would think that you've got more to prove. Yeah, yeah. I, th- yeah. I think when you're young, you, like, you tend to think you're bulletproof and everyone's just going to like you just because of you. <laughs> 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 and you haven't done anything. <laughs> I think we've all been there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm working harder a lot now than than, than I ever did, you know. You know, and, and but that's okay. So you're in a good place. Um, it feels like you're in a really good place, and you're really happy with where you are. And uh, the way that you guys run this place, it's just phenomenal. It's a beautiful experience from start to finish. I don't consider ourselves as fine dining. We, we, we're just very serious about what we do, you know. Um, I don't like white tablecloths. <laughs> So what what do you call that? Because we all have this thing of we've got to define it, don't we? And it's like it's not. I agree with you. It's not fine dining because it's not formal in any way. Um, but what is fine dining now? Yeah, well, that's that's part of the journey in, in itself for for New Zealand. You know, um, I didn't I didn't want to bring 
what the expectation of the rest of the world into um, in, into New Zealand, you know, or what I was doing, because then it, it, it just it, it tends to repeat itself. Because why don't we just why don't we strip everything away and start again, you know? And you know, when you buy your own house, you can do anything you want in it, you know. And I've, I've, that's why I look at with, with this place, you know, trying to strip everything down to to the bare minimum. Sometimes living in a regional area um, and trying to do something that's a little bit different can be really difficult. Yeah. I had to had to not think about that a lot and just and just concentrate on what I love to do. Um, you see a lot of chefs that, that, that stop and give up you know, and a lot of it's because it's high it's high pressure but it's it's lots of people talking 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 just you know, just don't worry about it um, I still think this place is a stepping stone for something bigger you know and, and that's how I treat it and so I'm gonna make all the mistakes and everything that I can now so that, so that the next place is a lot better famous last words Jeremy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but this place um, it's also got a connection for me um, from my hometown, which which is Peter McIntyre, the the, the previous owner's um, brother, he was married to uh, Sarah McIntyre, which is the daughter of Peter McIntyre, which is from Kahi, which is where I'm from, and <coughs> and so this this whole thing, there was rocks here that was from a river that I recognised. It's pretty weird. It was the first restaurant that we ate in Hawke's Bay on the first day we arrived. We we came here, mm. and I. I recognise the rocks at the back, and so when, when we were kids, I was, I said to my ex-wife, I goes, oh, fuck, that, those are the rocks from 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 the river back home." And she goes, "How do you know?" This goes because we had to get them as as kids for for, for the um, hangings and stuff, and so I said, "Yeah," and I picked it up. Yeah, these are from back home. And it's a and, yeah, so I spoke to him, and he goes, "Yeah, they're from a little place," and then I said, "Oh, from the Whakapapa River, Kaki." He goes, "Yeah, how do you know? Oh, those rocks." Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so it was meant to be. Wow. So I was after that about a week later. He, um, uh, Mark rang me up and said, oh, OK, we'll come down and talk. <laughs> and that was it. And yeah. that was it. Yeah. Wow. And when you started in here, what was the menu? Do you remember? I made stuff up as I went along because I wanted to use everything that was around here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it always changed, um, sometimes three times a day. Mm. It was hard work. So I went through various stages, um, of course, and... I wasn't trying to compete against the wineries, but 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 the wineries in Hawke's Bay, uh, you know, they had all the firepower in Hawke's Bay, and and so had to find a way around it. Mm. Yeah, I didn't want to actually directly um, try to compete against them because I couldn't. Mm. Yeah, I just had to head down, ass up, and go for it. Find your own way. Yeah, yeah. You speak about. Your next steps, are we allowed to ask yet what that will be? Well, the plan has just been the plan for a long time. Um, a smaller restaurant, a ten-seater, um, that's about it, really. And uh, who knows after that. Mm. <laughs> and how long have you had that plan? Oh, I don't know, five or six years, mm. yeah. Um, it's home. There's a lot of history there for me to actually draw on. It's not for me to say. I think it's for, for other people to say. It's, you know, I'll just do what I do and they can make their own minds up.
you know, whether it is or not, mm. which they do anyway. The, the awards and the accolades and the recognition that you've got along the way, which has seriously put um, Hawke's Bay on the map, whether you're going to be shy about that or not, there's, there's no arguing about that. So what did it mean to you? A lot. And I am very shy about it um, because, you know, I'm not one to sort of blow my own horn, but um, there's a lot of details and a lot of hours and a lot of sweat and tears that are, or that are behind that, and it's nice to be recognised mm. for, for, for those things. Um, and very proud, not not just of us, of our staff, of Hawke's Bay in, in general. You know, once one restaurant starts getting recognised, everyone else wants to step their game up as well. You know, I'm not saying we 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 were the ones that that did it, but we certainly helped mm. along the way mm. with. With, with others, you know, and not just with us in Hawke's Bay, you know, around New Zealand too. I mean, I get a lot of chefs come in here just, you know, to have a look and see what's going on and they can take what they take and, and do what they do. What would you say to them, Jeremy, to the young chef that's coming coming up now and comes into your restaurant? If there was one thing that you'd tell them to take away, what would it be? Um, it's hard to be honest and it's hard to keep things very real. Um, but that's a focus for them, as in food. You know, make the food as honest as possible. Um, that's important for everyone. Yeah. What makes food honest? Um, it's a connection. Yeah. With 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 um, with the food yourself and the people. Our people, our stories, our food. Kate Radburn has been at the forefront of establishing Hawke's Bay as one of New Zealand's premium wine regions and played an integral part in the formation of this country's wine industry. At Radburn Cellars she continues to produce award-winning ultra-premium wine and to enhance the reputation of the region as a destination for serious food and wine lovers. I came to Hawke's Bay uh, when I graduated from Rosalie from winemaking and I went to work at Vital winery here in Hawke's Bay, um, for, for Sir George Bitternich. Right. So he asked me when I graduated, and um, my intention was to come to New Zealand. It was um, the first job that I got, which was fantastic, thinking I would go home, uh, back to Australia. But um, when I arrived here, and it was really the start of the industry as we know it today, and, it, you know, we're such a young winemaking industry, and... and it's just been so exciting to, to leave. So all my all my working career uh, has been here in New Zealand. Almost all of it in Hawke's Bay. And then I went to Park Winery and had 26 years there. And ended and up uh, a, a part owner, a managing director there? Yes, yes, yes I was. Um, yep, so I was there for a very long time. And um, we started our own winery business. Um, well, we've just completed our fourth vintage. So I haven't had many roles. <laughs> And, uh, of course, Radburn um, established in 2017, I, I think it was. That's right. Yeah. Yep. This has to be your absolutely very, 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 very best, I would assume. Oh, look, it's just been, for me, just been wonderful to be able to start a business with a clean slate and being able to do things exactly the way we want to do. And we're focusing on what we believe um, are Hawke's Bay strengths um, from a wine perspective, which is a Chardonnay, a Syrah and a Merlot Cabernet blend. And the other other thing that we really want to 
focus on with these wines is ageability um, and their, um, their ability to work with food. So we quite deliberately are making quite, a, quite an understated um, refined wines that, that really pair well with food. So it's been an absolute delight to get the, get the business underway. Well, that's something to be so proud of. And, well, I mean, there's so many so many hats to everything that you do, but I believe that you were one of the instigators of the magnificent Hawke's Bay charity wine auction, which has become quite a legend in its own lunchbox, hasn't it? But can you explain for anyone that hasn't experienced that what that's all about? Well, funnily enough, you say that we're, we're celebrating 30 years. Oh, um, wow. Which is just phenomenal. And um, I was fortunate enough to be on the first organising committee 30 years ago, and um, it has just been a delight to see how the auction has matured and grown over the last 30 years. But our wonderful wineries here in Hawke's Bay put special parcels of bespoke wine together, which they donate um, up for auction, and um, the proceeds go to um, our local Cranford Hospice here in Hawke's Bay, which um, is just the most wonderful facility and facilities that they have. Mm. Um, and I think the, the proof in the pudding of how highly regarded Cranford is, is seen by the results of the auction, which is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah it's quite spectacular, yeah. isn't it? We love it. Yeah. The other thing that is just so amazing is your focus on encouraging women within the wine industry. Where are we at in New Zealand with that? Because it seems to me that there's some absolutely magnificent women in our industry here. Oh, we have, um, it never ceases to amaze me, the, the ability, particularly of our young people in the industry, mm. um, but certainly young women. Um, so, yes, I, I currently chair the Women in Wine program, national program, and what was really interesting, a couple of years ago they had a, um, a conference in Milan and unbeknown to me, countries like Italy had had a Women in Wine program for over well over 20 years. And each um, country around the world was invited to bring, you know, to have a representation there and to discuss, you know, where each industries were at. And... Um, Nikki Grandgeorge and I went along and she's the New Zealand wine growers. Um, she heads Women in Wine. We were absolutely staggered um, at how some, you know, hugely established industries were still very much male-dominated, completely dominated. And the research that we've done here in New Zealand, I have to say, is that we're, we're very much ahead of the game at mm. the moment insofar as number of men and women in in roles across viticulture, winemaking, marketing, administration, you know, logistics, the full bang, we're really, we're doing very well, yeah. as we should. And just quietly in, in the cone of silence here, do you think women look at wine differently to men when they're making it? Is there a gender <laughs> thing there? I think... I look at round board tables and I look around, I, you know, wine judging, which I've done a lot of too. Um, I think, yes, I do think we think differently. Um, and that's why often in situations like that, you know, it's best to have a team of people so that we have all these different inputs mm. and, um, and hopefully we get better outcomes. I look at how my winemaking's changed over the decades. And, you know, when I was younger, I, I was focused on bold and big 
and um, more overt styles of wine. Quite, quite frankly, nothing interests me less now. I, I, I'm much more into, interested in fragrance and elegance and refinement, and it's and I think that's just happened over time as well as. Um, do you think that's also confidence, though, in being able to get to a point where you're confident about not so much having to prove yourself anymore? I think you're right. What would you say, Kate, still needs to be done to enhance the reputation of Hawke's Bay as a serious destination for food and wine lovers? So much has already been done. Oh, look, I, I think um, our cuisine in Hawke's Bay and wine is outstanding, um, and I, again, we've seen that evolve. I, I mean, from my perspective, over the last nearly 40 years, um, I see, it, I see the, the interest in freshness and um, traceability and um, just all-encompassing, really. Um, what do we need to enhance the reputation? I think we just need to communicate what we are doing here. I mean, you look at the quality of the farmers markets we have here, the range of styles of cafes and restaurants from, you know, very everyday arrangements through to, you know, completely high-end fine dining. And I love what we do here. And I think the same the same applies to, to, to our wines. They, they go the full gambit um, across varieties, styles, price points, um, and and the quality, the overall quality of wine and cuisine here is absolutely world class. And we just need to be able to let people shout about it more, I think. Do, do you have a feeling that there's a great spirit of collaboration in Hawke's Bay? From my perspective with the wine industry, we've always had great collaboration. And um, I, and I, I think that's across everything. Yeah, it is, it is a great strength. Yes, celebrates people's successes, our colleagues' successes um, and... Perhaps the question about raising Hawke's Bay's profile is in is probably in my mind um, across New Zealand full stop. You know, we're, we're this wonderful little quite remote country that always does things beautifully. Um, and I think we need to be, you know, singing our praises loudly. Cuisine Bites. So Graham Avery not only co-founded iconic winery Cellini, and its food and wine cellar door. He also founded the acclaimed Hawke's Bay Farmers Market, which was instrumental in creating the national farmers market movement. Along the way, he founded the Hawke's Bay Food Group and led the formation of the original Hawke's Bay Wine Country Tourism Association. Yeah, originally from Wellington and, and uh, when I established the medical publishing business, ADIS International, moved to Auckland in 1966 and sold that at the end of 1996 and my wife and I, Gabby, uh, moved to the Bay 1999. Cellini came as a aftermath of uh, exposure to the old world wine and food regions uh, that uh, I had the opportunity to experience as, as an extension of the ADIS European offices. The, the, the best one was in Milan near the Piemonte oh. wine region oh. and then Paris was pretty good. <laughs> 
um, not too far away from the, the, the French wine regions. Uh, and towards the, the, the end of uh, Aedas, Madrid and Spain. Uh, and that sort of led to it. I'd known Hawke's Bay since childhood days as grandparents on my mother's side resided here, so visited every school holidays and enjoyed good food and the turnover of Aedas when I sold the business was larger than the export value of wine and <laughs> I thought, you know, that's silly. And, and all of those together was what got me into wine. You went on to, I mean, you've had your finger in so many pies and so many projects um, in this beautiful region, and you went on to become the founder of the, the Hawke's Bay Food Group. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was all about? Yeah, the Food Group was a, an exciting uh, project that I used the time before Cellini had enough wine um, uh, for me to be travelling and export markets. And... That came about for a couple of fundamental reasons. The, the growers of fresh produce, the, the markets uh, ha had changed and they didn't have a, a, a basis of, of selling their produce, nor did the many artisans, as I sort of discovered more and more and got familiar with the farmers' market movement in the USA, I decided that we should establish two things, uh, a farmers' market that would give uh, the producers an opportunity to sell fresh produce and the artisans also to, to, to do the same, and then a food trail uh, that would be a, a tourist attraction and, and with a map that would indicate where the different artisans were. And I set up a group uh, who were interested, um, Ian Thomas, who produced free-range eggs, was a, a, a real strength with the farmer's market. Uh, and Jeanette Kelly, who they started um, with Hawthorne Coffee, preparing their own beans and blends. Uh, and we got stuck in and had the initial market at Cellini indoors, a couple of those. And then it was very clear that we had to relocate the farmer's market to a central location. Ah, but, so, so, so originally you had it in the winery? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. And the, the showgrounds by Coho Gardens was a very picturesque place that mm. was relatively central. Uh, and we were going to do that um, once a fortnight, I think. But the first ones just were so big, it, it became weekly and then a, a smaller one in, in Napier. And since that first year, it, it spawned over 40 other markets yes. throughout the country where we ran the 
the principles of the farmer's market very, very strictly. The actual grower, the actual artisan had to be there. There was no buying in on behalf. Mm. So the authenticity, the provenance and, and the individuals at the, the, the market store could give, give the story. Yeah. Uh, so that proved very, very successful as did the food trail. And then the branding exercise that uh, Kim Thorpe was a key member of, of that group as, and a, a lady, uh, Rebecca Turner, who now lives in, in Auckland. Um, uh, the, there was no real identity uh, or a reason, a primary reason to come to, to the bay but see and do other things and um, I wanted to uh, promote tourism uh, the new food trail to the wineries to the restaurants etc and the farmers market plus including uh, the Saturday market at Black Barn in, in the summer period uh, and had met uh, a number of people in the Napa and Yarra Valley uh, and held a conference on food and wine tourism and uh, the people from overseas who, who were here and we used wine country as the branding because with wine there's always food that goes without saying and wanted to keep it short and that was hugely successful and then the private sector wine country association tourism association sort of merged with the former uh, Hawke's Bay tourism and it became wine country tourism at that, at that point in time um, because their thinking just was not on song uh, for what we were doing. And then about mm, 2005, um, my travel commitments with Cellini became greater and Rebecca wanted to do different things, so we sort of handed over the baton. And the name wine country lapsed, sadly. It was mm. not one of the things that I supported, but tourism went back to Hawke's Bay Tourism, had very good people, uh, had worked with NZ Tourism offshore, Annie Dundas did an incredible oh, job. And then she set up Fork, mm. uh, and it's now sort of come back to where we are today, but they were exciting times and it was all voluntary. A number of farmers' wives, degrees, and uh, I suppose had the time, but they had a lot of energy, good multitaskers. Mm. The market was done in six months. How hard was it to, I mean, it sounds like you, you did things incredibly quickly, but regional communities, for the most part, 
people can have ideas, but actually getting them physically happening can be very difficult because you've got so many stakeholders. Was it hard with the community? Was there a sort of resistance to change or was it very well, forward that, thinking? That, that's a very, very good question. And without appearing arrogant in any way, I was not a local. Rebecca Turner was not a local. And you see things differently. And when I first arrived, and I kept saying this to the councils, um, Hawke's Bay had a, an embarrassment of unrealised rituals. And I became a regionalist moving to uh, Hawke's Bay in the sense that if you get the economic potential of our provincial regions right, you'll make New Zealand better than the top-down approach where it, it's over-reliant on the big urban centres and, and Auckland population. Mm -hmm. And even still today, um, the regions are not performing to their maximum potential. So that was kind of the, the key driver and the leaders of a region can see that because they're grappling with it. Uh, I came as, a, as a, an outsider and I had built the uh, what is now the AUT Millennium Institute of Sport and Health in Auckland and we're building a scaled-down version of that here now. Uh, so I suppose there was some credibility. I'd started what was then the, the, the biggest and newest wine business in, in, in the Bay with, with Cellini, made, made a big commitment to food, a restaurant, a demonstration kitchen, and a lot of imported and local artisan food items, cheese room, all, all the rest that had never been done before. And people could see that you know this was something that had a ticket for the future. Mm. And the volunteers that came, I suppose we were all rebels in a way because the locals talked about it. And, the, and this happens in, in all spheres, but find it hard to actually implement because no one wants to put their hand up to lead. Mm. So I provided the leadership with, you can't do any of it that alone. Mm. You never can. No. But there were so many who gave willingly of their voluntary time, and they were co-leaders, and got stuck in. Jeanette Kelly uh, of Hawthorne in those days did a huge amount. Uh, she had a, a, a former career in journalism and did a lot of the communication stuff. We, we produced a wonderful food and wine tourism Spirex bound guide. So we did a lot of exciting things and uh, the members themselves, uh, you know, they pay for listings as all the, the regional tourism groups do in, in, in the guides. Uh, and that was about $600,000 a year. Yeah. including what we'd invested in with our own guide, which was about 100000 
And so, you know, we made a, a pitch to the councils that the 600 the three gave was not enough and we were competing with Rotorua and Queenstown well over the million mm. and and try to get them to up the ante, uh, which in the end they, they did put in a, in a bit more. Uh, but um, it was a very successful, let's say, public-private sector partnership when wine country tourism sort of merged with the public-funded Hawke's Bay tourism. All of us involved were at the front end, uh, had a strong vision and were driven by you know, getting the wine country branding everywhere and um, people embraced it, whether they were florist shops or even, I think there was panel beaters and <laughs> all sorts of odd, odd businesses. Everyone wanted to be part of it. You must be very proud to see it come full circle now and coming back to food and wine country again. Yeah, I am. There should never have been the, the, the change. There were two big disappointments in what I did that we never uh, got time to uh, develop. One was farmer's market dollars, as they have in the US, actual money value coupons, so that those from lower socioeconomic areas could use them to get fresh, nutritious produce. In the first year, the market created 100 new jobs and new businesses grew. And it became a place to trial a new artisan product without little cost. And there's been half a dozen or so businesses who, who went on but started at the market. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Uh, I tried to think of getting some of the food group, the bigger producers together to scale them up, pull all of their products to put it into a Hawke's Bay brand. And I just ran out of time. I think I have one last question for you, Sir Graham, and it's Hawke's Bay that uh, is obviously your passion and your love and, and where you've landed. So much work for the community and so many voluntary projects and, and you've been recognised over and over again for that. Have you created your own nirvana, do you think? No, I don't think so. That's an interesting question. Um, I like helping people, and the first time I've had an opportunity, a region, to better realise its potential, that, that's what it's being about, and seeing the opportunities, which was certainly with food and wine tourism mm -hmm. here. Um, you know, Blind Freddy could see that, that um, but you have to have the insight uh, seeing what's happening. Um, and with any of these things, the journey never finishes uh, when you're uh, striving to be world-class and endeavouring to be world-leading. Uh, a journey of excellence is always continuous improvement and it just never, ever ends.
Whoa, so what do you reckon? Some incredibly generous and talented souls there who have all played a significant role in the development of the Hawke's Bay food and drink story. And some unmissable synergies along the way, breaking barriers, taking risks, taking the lead and truly believing in the strength of collaboration and striving for excellence. Thank you to everyone who took time to nominate. The question now, of course, is who will be the very first Hawke's Bay legend? Stay tuned, we'll find out at the opening night of the 10th Summer Fork series this November. I'll keep you posted and for more info on Fork, head over to forkfawc.co.nz. And that's it for this episode of Cuisine Bites. Catch you back here soon.